Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 10? And uh, while you're turning there, I want to share, uh, some of you were here last week in third service, so this is going to be a deja vu, but this was such a special moment last week that I really wanted to, everybody to see this with Brady right. getting baptized. So about four weeks ago, I met with James at Shoreside and decided I was going to follow Jesus there. And I met with him, I've met with him every week since, and I told him I wanted to be baptized. I told him I wanted to be baptized today because yesterday I turned 18. So I wanted to step into a new chapter of my life in both adulthood and religiously. And so when he told me I need to pick someone to baptize me, I chose Mo over here because I wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for Mo and his family. And Through them, I've made two lifelong brothers in Micah and Gabe. I have met many people to help me along my journey. Jamie and Lauren Brandenburg. I've had Joel and Michaela Kelly. TJ Roberts back here. Um, James and Becca and just so many more people. They've all just helped me. And I'm extremely grateful for that. And... Uh, the biggest, the biggest thing for me was they accepted me into their family. None of those people fully grasped how much they've impacted me and how much they mean to me. And I was just extremely lucky to be part of a church so giving and loving and kind and willing to help me through my journey, just wandering, lost, and this, that's why I decided I should get baptized. Brady, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you care who knows it? Everybody. Brady, I baptize you in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried in death, raised to new life. So that was a, a moment that I wanted to share just because obviously it's beautiful. But it's interesting because it really plays into the question that we answered last week, right? The rich young ruler asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which I love, uh, ultimately the answer is uh, nothing because Jesus is gonna do it all. But then the question Peter asks, which is, well, now that we've got eternal life, well, now what? That's a really legitimate question. So if you're Brady and you've just stepped into you know, this new relationship with Christ, one day we'll be in heaven, eternity, all that. But what in between that moment of receiving Christ and the moment of eternity, what do we do in the meantime? And that's what Jesus answers here in Mark chapter 10. I'm actually going to just start reading in verse 28 because we spent a lot of time last week with the rich young ruler. And, but this is Peter speaking up. He says, we've left everything to follow you. 
Okay. Rich young ruler, he walked in every bit as rich, every bit as famous and influential. He said, no, thank you. And he walked away rich, powerful, and influential. And Peter over here is just as broke, just as unknown, and no power as the day he started following Jesus. So there's a little bit of a what gives question. And I love this because, you know, Jesus was not afraid to throw onto them to get behind me, Satan. That's never the answer you're looking for rather, when you're talking to Jesus. But he's not afraid of that, and he doesn't say that. He actually just answers his question with love. He says, truly I tell you, verse 29, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age of homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children, along with persecutions. Not my favorite part of the scripture, if I'm being honest. Along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your... um, word to be a light, uh, a lamp that you promised it would be for us. Peter's question, Lord, it rings true. 2,000 years later, it rings true. What about us? We've said yes. What about us? And in your answer here for Peter, it rings true 2,000 years later as well. So we ask for that to be real for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Um, a few years ago, I was out uh, doing some, some jogging. Yeah, you can look at a guy like me and say, he doesn't probably do a lot of jogging. Not breaking any land speed records in the jogging department. Uh, we lived out on a farm on the Paytonsville Arno Road, not the best place to be jogging down between the mountain lions and the soccer moms on their phone. So, by the way, old farmers are great. They were like always aware, waving at you, you know, giving you the one finger wave. And, but man, you'd get uh, somebody driving to school at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. with on the phone just blowing down our nose. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to get dead doing this. So I went to our little neighborhood around the corner from us called uh, The Grove. Anybody live in The Grove? Just parenthetically before I say that. Okay, good. So uh, I'm not normally allowed in The Grove uh, without a weed eater and a pickup. But I, I'm just not, if I'm there to work, then I can get in, but they're not, you know, they're not like waving us in. Um, but I was, uh, I was tootling around in there and, um, and this guy, this is a true story, Jamie. I wish this weren't. Um, he slows down and he rolls his window down and he starts saying, dude, good for you, man. You just, you finishing strong, pushing through. It was like, just, he's, so first I think this guy is completely mocking me. Again, I'm not like breaking any land speed record. So it's not, you know, that's the pace I could go at, you know, whatever. Anyway, he rolls up his Maserati window and he, and he keeps going. And, and um, as I'm leaving, I uh, get in my car to go back to the farm. I see at the entrance, there's a little sign that says 5K for the fallen. Um, there's a race that was happening that day. <laughs> now, this race had been over long enough. <laughs> that. All the people gone home, all the volunteers were gone. So he thinks that I've been running a 5K. Keeping in mind, this is not a marathon. 
for so long that everybody's gone home and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish this if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe this is what Jesus meant. The last will be first. If you come in, if you come in last enough, <laughs> you've started a whole new race. <laughs> and I dominated that one. Um, Seriously, I wish I would have paid more attention to who he was because I just want to find him someday and say, I swear to you that I was as slow as I was. It's not that slow. <laughs> I wish that were not true. Um, Jesus is answering a question here with the, you know, the last shall be first. It's a passage. We've all heard this very famous thing about the last shall be first. And it's an answer to the question that Peter's asking. So here he says, we've left everything for you. But in Matthew 19, 27, which is the parallel passage, he then actually records that he's saying, what about us? Like in that, this is what Matthew records. But what about us? And Jesus answers him. And he does something really fascinating in that he starts with the why, he moves to the how, and then he ends with the what. Right? He doesn't start with the what, like he doesn't start singing Beulah Land or Heaven or what. He starts with the why, right? The passion. This is your why. And then he moves on to this is, this is how. And then he ends with what? This is what you will be a fully formed disciple of Jesus, which doesn't sound that exciting from a Sunday school perspective, but what it means is that one day you will be the truest you that you were ever created to be. You will be more you than you could have ever been without Christ. It says that he will remake you into the image of Christ. That's the what. Like that's the thing that he's doing. But he doesn't start with that. He starts with the why, the passion, when he says this in verse 29, when he says that, look, this is the why, for my sake and for the gospel. So heaven, eternity, rewards, those are all real. But that's the what, that's not the why. The why is because of me, because of the gospel. Now, how is that a strong enough why, right? Because I gotta tell you, the rich part sounds pretty awesome. The inheritance part, that sounds pretty good. But that's not a strong enough why. That's the why that will buckle under the pressure of persecution, it'll buckle under the uh, pressure of life and when life hits you with it. But if you start with Jesus here, this is the story, your little uh, subtitle, doesn't it say the rich young ruler, singular, right? But there's two rich young rulers here. Did you catch that? Did you see that? Jesus was 31 years old. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us through the grace of Jesus Christ that he who was rich, he, he was rich, became poor so that in his poverty you might become rich. Do you catch what's happening here? I didn't at first and when it jumped off the page, I'm like, I'm, I needed to call somebody because what he's saying, he's only asking the rich young ruler exactly what he was already doing himself. Jesus, with the wealth of eternity, okay, loaded, Jay-Z and Beyonce money together is not the same as what Jesus left behind. And when he left it behind, he was so poor. You remember the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, 
I bet if he'd have done it, he'd at least still showed back up with clothes on. Jesus was so poor that when it was on the cross, they took even his clothing from him. Nobody has left behind father on the cross. Jesus' father turned his back on him in the state of sin that he was in. He had left behind his father. He had left behind his power. He had left behind his glory. He had become poor that you might become rich. What is the response to that? Like what is the only appropriate response to that? It's to give everything. Like the God becoming man so that you could become rich. The only appropriate response is to give your entire life to that. Now, there are some ideas and some other things that we could do, reasons that we might do this. You know, we might, some of you might be serving Jesus for the, for the appreciation, right? Now, you're following Jesus, right? And, and maybe there's no such thing, by the way, as a pure motive, but I would say primary motives. Can we at least start with that? I think we all come to the table with mixed motives on almost everything we do. But the goal of a disciple is to move that motivation more to Jesus, more to Jesus, more to Jesus, more to Jesus. Because if your motivation for serving Christ is for the appreciation that you might get, I've been a pastor for, I don't know, 10 years. Every time I get an awesome sermon, it dries up almost immediately afterwards. I need another one. It's not enough. It won't be enough. It'll never be enough. If that's my motivation, it will buckle under the weight of the need that I'm trying to fill in my heart with something besides Christ. By the way, the need to be appreciated, the need to be like seen, that's, a, that's not a bad thing. I think God wired it that way. He wired us that way knowing then that the only eyes in the universe that see everything, the eyes that see perfect, the eyes that don't miss anything, see you. And he sees. And so when it's for your sake, right? Because what does it say in 2 Corinthians 8? It was for your sake that he became poor. And he actually says that it was the motivation for his why, Hebrews 12, is that it was because of the joy set before him, right? That he endured the pain of the cross, despising its shame. You were his why. Like you were the why, despising the shame. He pressed through. You are the why. So for us, when he says, anyone who does this follows me for my sake, it's just the appropriate response for that. And that, the eyes of the universe that can see everything, when that is my motivation for him, for the gospel, that why can bear any what. And you know, this is important because we're in Western Christianity. You guys have served, the Irwins have served in Zimbabwe. Marlena, it's good to see you, by the way. Marlena is about to graduate from Trevecca. I'm sorry, should I not say this? From Trevecca University. She's come from Zimbabwe. She's going to school. But it started in Zimbabwe with Melissa working with an orphanage there. The people that are working in that orphanage there, the, the, the young children, if, if they're serving Jesus just to get the accolades, just to, it'll never be enough. But if they're doing it for Christ... Even in an unjust situation, they can still keep motivated from that. In Pakistan right now, there are brickmakers working in slavery, if any of you are familiar with this. They wake up every morning and they are in slavery and it is not the perfect life for them. What do they do? Brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you do? 
Paul told them what to do, Colossians 3. This is uh, verse 3, chapter, th- I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 23. He says this, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for, listen to what he says, your human masters. He was talking to slaves. Was he endorsing slavery? No, it's not a trick question. William Wilberforce abolished slavery. was at the forefront of abolishing slavery using the Bible. Human rights. But if this is where you are and no one has come to rescue you, how do you wake up every morning and still love Jesus? How do you wake up every morning and think, how is this right? How is this? And he tells them, this is how. You're doing it as unto the Lord. And, verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What are we talking about? How do I re- inherit eternal life? An inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. He sees you. Whether you're in a brick plant in Pakistan, an orphanage in Zimbabwe, or you're working for some jerk nozzle in Cool Springs. He sees you. And when I'm doing it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, that can bear any how. He's moving us toward becoming this fully formed disciple of Jesus. That is the what. We just figured out the why, but now the how. How now, brown cow? Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus says, no one has done this. He starts talking about the reward. Now the question is, if this is what he did, shouldn't Connor, sitting right here in the front row, sell everything he has and follow Jesus? Give it to the poor and follow Jesus. Shouldn't he do that if that's what the rich young ruler was supposed to do? No, because that is what the rich young ruler was called to do, maybe not what Connor was called to do. Just a couple of chapters ago, a demoniac has been completely delivered. And what does he want to do? I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to get in the boat and go with you. Jesus told him, no, you go back to your family. He tells the rich young ruler, you leave your family. The only thing we do in this process of becoming a disciple is listen and obey. That's it. When God told Melissa, go to Zimbabwe, people look at that and say, that's literally insane. Single, not single woman, but by herself, single female, alone female, she's married, I'm sorry. A female going to Zimbabwe for the first time by herself, that's insane unless Jesus told her to do it. But he might not have told you, so you don't have to feel guilty about that if that's not what he asked you to do. There's a Roman centurion that he says, go back to your family. There's Nicodemus who gave away half of everything he owned. All we're doing is saying, what are you asking me to do, Jesus? Listen and obey. Listen and obey. So the work that Jim and Ildi do in the photography business, that's not less noble because it's what Jesus has called you to do than Mark and Dana who are in North Africa. It's no less noble because he didn't ask them to go to North Africa. That's literally all being a disciple is. What does a disciple do? A disciple, Luke 640, will be like his master. When he is fully formed, he will not be greater than his teacher. He will be like his teacher. What did Jesus do and say? He did only what the Father said to do and say. So Amanda, producing radio shows, that's, a, that's what God calls you to do. When Shannon, um, my wife, has been working down at the Place of Hope for the last three years or so. 
I bring this up because sometimes you don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know even where to start. Sometimes your greatest area of pain is your greatest area of impact. Last week, we actually prayed for Lynn Simpson and her work with mothers who have had abortions. Lynn's greatest area of pain and shame and regret, 1 Corinthians 3, in the way that she, or 1, is the way that she has been ministered to. Now she ministers to other. And so here we've got Shannon working at Place of Hope, which it started with, we're just going to put some flooring in, and then it was like Vietnam, like we just couldn't get out, like it's too far, too much, like... A $150,000 project for the church turned into, what, I don't know, half a million? No, it was a lot. 350 But she didn't even stop there. But you know what occurred to us? We were just talking about it this week. I don't know that it really ever occurred to either of us. This is a place of hope, a place that works with alcoholics and drug addicts. Shannon is the daughter of two alcoholics. It was just the most obvious place for her to invest. She didn't look at her thing and say, okay, this is my greatest area of pain. I'm going to go find a place to serve it. The Lord just opened the door and in hindsight, it's like, oh, that makes sense that that's why she would do that. And she would do it with so much passion and so much care because most times, a lot of time, your greatest area of pain is your greatest area of impact. And I want to say this because when I was talking to Shannon, she said, you know, it's important that we actually remind people about the seasons of life that we're in. Because some of you, your season is you're raising your kids right now. That's just the season. That season is a noble season. That is a season that Jesus has called you to be into. And the question is, if that's all he ever called you to do, is that enough? If it's not, then maybe we need to go back to the passion again, the why. Because if it's all he called you to do, is it enough? Because if it's what he called you to do, then it is enough because you're just saying yes to what he asked you to do. But you know, those seasons change. Our kids get older. Well, Lisa, they get older. It's crazy. We're graduating them. We're marrying them off. Sending them to the Navy. The season changed. Peter's season changed. Peter was following Jesus. He's over here asking the question of what's in it for me this season. I'm following Jesus. He's going to watch Jesus be crucified. He's going to run and hide his, his journey towards being who God has called him to be. And I, love, I was actually just reading this. So these are the words of Peter at the end of his life. Okay, Here's Peter, young Peter, full of just vinegar and fire and he's, and he's wanting to go. And Jesus, why? Get out your sword in the garden. We're going to take care of this. And Peter, at the end of his life, would write these words, since everything will be destroyed by this way. I wonder if he thought about the rich young ruler when he wrote these words. Uh, this is Second Peter 3, verse 11. You could go there later. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It's all going to be gone anyway. The rich young ruler, it's all gone. He walked away just as famous, just as rich, just as powerful. He walked away a winner and was still a loser. And here's Peter who walked away a loser and by the end of his life realizes that you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. It talks about what's going to happen in those days. And bear in mind, verse 15, that the Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote. He just talks about, you know, it's a whole different Peter than was this Peter from 40 years ago. And I promise you, for you young kids that are following Jesus, there's going to be a different you in 40 years than there is today. It's what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. A little bit of obedience here, a little bit there, and the older you get, the wiser you get, the little less of you, the little more of him, the little less of you, the little more of him, and that is the process of what it means to become a disciple.
And you know what part of that process is? We heard it from Brady. Part of the process he talks about here, you're going to get moms and dads and homes. And, you know, Brady was really struggling. There was some stuff going on in his family. And you know what God gave Brady in a church? A family. Shannon and I started this church 10 years ago on a wing and a prayer. We burned our ships. We, this was what Jesus called us to do. And if he hadn't, it would have been the, the dumbest thing we've ever done. And you know what's awesome? God has given us brothers and sisters, mothers, Phyllis is here, family, houses, we could catch, uh, crash on couches if, if we needed it. We've got brothers. Tim Bassanio has been my brother for years. I mean, Jim and Elder here already talked about. This family that happens is part of the process of becoming a disciple. That you're going to maybe have to say goodbye because somebody didn't understand. It's, it's not lost on me that sometimes the disciples left their families because they didn't understand, but most times it's the families leaving them because they didn't understand. And he says, I'll take care of that. And along with that, persecutions, kind of a problem, right? Persecutions. Except that it's not a problem. Except it's not an interruption of the process. It's part of the process. We're watching it in our own country right now. Duke University this week uh, kicked Young Life out of their university for being a hate group. Young Life, for crying out loud. For being a hate group. I'm going to tell you, that really ticked me off. <laughs> Made me angry. And I could go on and we could name several other things that we all know and love, but you know what Jesus says? Don't let that tick you off. That's what's supposed to happen. That is the answer to the prayers of millions of Chinese believers praying that the American church will get persecuted because we're too fat, too comfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think it's madness and insanity, and I don't like it. But Jesus said, persecutions are coming along with it. And your persecution might not be specifically that kind of persecution, but if you've been unappreciated, if you've been unseen, if you've been treated badly in your church or in your work and in your service, that feels it hits right in the same place as persecution. Like, I have been mistreated in my work. I got a boss that doesn't like me. And sometimes it's like I got a boss that just isn't very good at showing appreciation. And that feels like a form of persecution. Why would Jesus say, hey, that's part of the program? Because there's nothing that comes, no strength that happens. I've been, um, in just a few weeks, I'm heading to Nepal. Okay, we're going to plant a church there. David Christopher's going with me. We're going to teach a pastor's conference. And then... Biggin, myself, is going to hike to base camp at Mount Everest. I've never done it before. We're already there. Just a few hundred extra dollars to go hike to base camp. I have been working out like a fiend. I have been not eating what I normally eat. I have been working harder than I've ever worked. And all I'm trying to do, because I can get a Sherpa to carry my stuff, but I can't get him to carry me. So I'm going to have to try to drop some. But here's my point. I... I the only way that's going to happen, the only way it works is if I don't give myself everything I want when I want it and if I cause myself to suffer in ways that I don't necessarily appreciate. Jesus' gift to us of this strengthening. Adrian Breedlove back there, I told him earlier he's going to have to quit working out because he's making me look really bad right now. Um, there's some suffering going on at the CrossFit, Right? I've seen the looks on your face in the photos. Not, not a good time. 
but it's what it takes. That's life this side of heaven. There's some suffering that we're going to do. Jesus is not using it to harm you. He's allowing it to strengthen you. It's part of the process of becoming more you than you've ever been. To put it one way differently, um, <laughs> we are co-heirs with Christ. We are inheriting what Christ is inheriting. And you know what? That makes you and me rich kids. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David versus Goliath, includes a chapter about that there is a certain level of money that's not enough. And that money uh, can cause harm in poverty. But there's this other number when you get to that number where it's too much and can begin to have a diminishing return and can cause harm to the child. Uh, the number, by the way, that social scientists say is 75,000 a year. Isn't that interesting? And the main purpose of that, the main reason he says it, it's not that you will be harmed because your kids have money. It's just that you have more of a chance of harming them because I won't buy you a pony and I can't buy you a pony are two different conversations. As parents, what we want to do is, I don't want my kid to suffer the way that I suffered. I don't want him to have to go through what I went through. And I could name any one of the Instagram social media famous for being famous people and you can see how that worked out. Jesus said, you're a co-heir with Christ. God is the richest um, cattle on a thousand hills. I don't even know what that means. But what I know is this is that he is a good father. And that means he is not gonna spoil you rotten. The Greeks used to have a saying that the way that the gods punished people was to give them everything they wanted to answer all of their prayers. So Jesus is not saying, I'm doing this as a buzzkill. This is actually to make you better, to make you stronger, and to make you into the image of who I am, who you will be for a billion, quadrillion years from here, the inheritance. And that brings us to the what. That's the how, the process of following Jesus. Listen, obey. I'm going to surround you with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to be great. There's going to be some hard stuff too. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some struggles. But it's all moving you to this place that one day you will step into eternity and this finished product of who you are is the last will be first, the first will be last. I'm going to give you eternal life and inheritance, these rewards. There's something about what Jesus says when he talks about rewards that I don't fully understand other than he has rewards for you that are based on your obedience to him. Eternity, heaven, 100% by grace. 100%. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing you can do to lose your salvation. But on this side now, Brady, okay? He's just stepped into Jesus. Let's say he gets a 50-year walk with Jesus. What's he going to do with those 50 years? But listen and obey. And one day it says we're going to stand before his Bema seat. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. The Bema seat is not the great white throne judgment. That's the one for people who have rejected Christ and said, I want to get in on my own. But the Bema seat is the seat that I probably would have went by had I have actually ran in the fallen 5K race. It's at the end where they're handing out the medals. It was a Greek word. He was appropriating a word from the Greek culture into Christianity saying, the Bema seat is where you reward people for how they did in the race. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. Matthew 6.19 talks about 
uh, storing up treasures in heaven. Like that whole passage about that, about, hey, if you're given to uh, poor people just so they can, so the public can see you, you've already got your reward. Enjoy that, right? If, if you are praying out loud so everybody can hear you, congratulations, you just got your reward. But if you're praying in private, if you're giving to people in need in private, if you are doing this, listen, for the sake of Jesus and for the gospel, I see it and I will reward it. Colossians 3, you can work as if it's unto the Lord because you know that Jesus sees it and you have an inheritance. And it seems to me that the more obscure, the more unseen, the more unappreciated, the more unknown, the greater the reward that Jesus has. I don't even know what the reward could possibly be. It's heaven. Like what more could I possibly want than that? But if Jesus says there's rewards that he's handing out, that he is giving to you, then I want some of that. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 that some of us are going to be saved by fire. Remember I talked about this last week? That we'll stand before him and everything, every, you know, every arrested development that I binged, or whatever. Like that, that stuff burns away. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's just wasted time. Some of it isn't necessarily sin. It's just, waste, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. I used to think of that as like a conveyor belt almost and this stuff goes through and the good stuff stays behind the good, the gold, the silver. And maybe that's it, I don't know. But fire, it talks about being burned by fire. It talks about this fire, this idea. And I, I was thinking about this bud this week that Revelation 1, Revelation 19, I think it's Daniel 12, it speaks of Jesus' eyes as fire. Not of punishment, but of Love. And when I look into those eyes, we have a dog at home that we call Bear uh, Yonsei. She's a diva. But she, um, she has these eyes. <laughs> Not all dogs have these eyes. There are a lot of dogs I can, I, I am totally immune to that. But her eyes, I'm kind of not immune to. There's something about this eyes of Jesus and those fiery eyes that I don't want to stand before those eyes that I did this all for the sake of him. Because it talks about four and 20 elders in Revelation 4 that they will lay their crowns, they will lay their jewels at the feet of Jesus. It's literally the only appropriate response is you're the only one worthy of this. I don't want to get there and have nothing to lay at his feet. To look at those eyes, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, I don't think it's a, a fear of like, oh, I'm terrified he's going to harm me. It's a fear of disappointing him. A fear of, ah, oh, I could have done this or I could have done that. I want to lay it all down and say that I, and, and thank God he's going to burn the stuff that wasn't because I won't remember it anymore. It'll be gone. But wouldn't it be great to know that I came in and I handed as much as I could to Jesus on that day? Now, I don't know what it means, but it does talk about it at some point. He'll like put that back on your head. Some are going to be rulers of 10 cities and some of 12 and literally don't know what any of that means other than it means something because otherwise Jesus wouldn't have brought it up. That whatever you're going to be doing for the next million trillion years is dependent 100% on what we do this side of heaven. So why not go all out for what he's asked you to do? Play in the band if that's what he's called you to do. Manage the office if that's what he's called you to do. Stock the grocery shelves. Wipe the baby butts. Do the parking. He sees it all. And he's not going to stand in front of me and say, why didn't you get done what I asked Armando to get done? No way. 
He's, I'm only going to be accountable for what he's asked me to do. Armando's accountable for what he's asked you to do. And I know this, that he sees it all. And so if you feel unseen, unappreciated, unwhatever, you're doing this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. The gift is you don't have to wonder whether or not that Jesus sees it and whether or not he will reward it because he promises us that he would. Isn't that great news? If he wants you to stay and be with your children, stay and be with your children and invest in them. There are some people that have gone to mission field that were just as disobedient because God told them to stay here as those who didn't go that God did tell to go. Just listen and do what he's asked you to do. Does this make sense? Good, because it's 1245 and I gotta get you out of here. Stand to your feet. <laughs> You're like, even if it didn't make sense, we've had plenty of time for you to try, so we're done with that. But look, <laughs> you had your shot at this, Darren. Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for those who have just come to Christ and those who have served Christ our whole lives. You talked about in Matthew 20 that, Lord, your generosity is radical to those who came late, just as those who came early. You are a generous, a radically generous God. What a great, great promise we hold on to from you today. Thank you for that. I pray that you would be with us as we step into this week and that every day this week we will wake up in the morning and just say, Jesus, what today? Listen and obey. What today? Listen and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.